0: news network a toddler slips through the fence and the secret service shuts down the white house when seriously did the leader of the free world begin to fear three-year-olds more to the point is this going to become a trend well mark twain did say that diapers and politicians should be changed frequently and for the same reasons so i'm guessing there's a point of commonality with the oval office We're TNN, the Truth News Network. And unlike others, you can believe what comes from our leader, Dan
1: Newman. Maybe, just maybe, thinking about it, maybe a three-year-old is already in the White House, (laughs) already in the Oval Office. Maybe we stop graduating, going older and older after every birthday. And maybe at some point we start going younger and younger every birthday. Think about that. What would that be like? Maybe we would miss a lot of things, but maybe we would see and hear and understand a lot of things that we don't right now. Well, on that note, let me say good morning to you. Happy Wednesday. Thank you for being part of the TNN family, TNN Live, TruthNewsNet.org. We appreciate your support, your reading and listening, and paying close attention to what you hear when you come to either our website or the show, or both, or the show that turns into a podcast about 30 minutes after the show is over every day that you can pick up at any one of your favorite podcast hosting sites, your family. And we thank you for joining in with us. We couldn't do this without you now. In full disclosure, let me point this one thing out. We do not monetize either the website, truthnewsnet.org, nor TNN Live. You'll hear commercial fillers that are played throughout the show. None of these sponsors are billed for what they get here when they come here. A lot of people think I'm stupid for doing that, but hey, listen. We don't monetize it for a reason because we don't have to and not bragging about it. I just want you to understand we feel like you are absolutely necessary for us to move forward. If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be doing this. There would be no reason because we get our information by digging already. And we're sharing it with you kind of like we feel like we need to to make sure that more and more Americans are aware of the facts of all the things that are happening around us, especially in Washington, D.C. To that end, information-wise, looks like Hunter Biden is going to testify before Congress in just a little bit. We just saw just a snippet of him on the steps outside the Capitol as he's getting prepared to go into the hearing, and he made some statements. Let me just give you a summary. He didn't do anything wrong. His dad didn't do anything wrong. Those millions of dollars that showed up, those were legitimate business transactions, period. And he damned anybody and everybody that has come after him, his father, or any of his family members, and it was literally wah, wah, wah. Now, hopefully before the show's over, we can find and pull down and get you a piece of what he had to say. And we're watching. We're going to let you know anything happens regarding that's important, that happens regarding uh, all of the context of this hearing that he's about to face. I'll be shocked if he answers any questions other than to respond. I refuse to answer that based upon my First Amendment rights, my Fifth Amendment, whichever one it is that you are not required to give evidence against yourself. Fifth Amendment, I believe. Anyway, all that being said, we've got much to get to. We've got a really good segment. Congressman Mike Johnson, brand new Speaker of the House, yesterday, he explained in detail a lot of the things that are on his plate, answering a lot of the questions, things like what are we doing about our budget? Is this impeachment thing going to move forward? And the 900-pound gorilla in the room yesterday was Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, was in town begging for more U.S. dollars. Mike Johnson's got a big, big answer to those questions and more. So you're going to hear from him and a whole bunch of other folks, and they all are weighing in with some answers to some very big questions. So, why don't you do this? Grab a second or third cup of coffee, and let's start this show today thinking, um, Christmas.
2: Hang all the mistletoe, I'm gonna get to know you better, mm-hmm. It's Christmas, and as we trim the trees, how much fun that's going to be, Care that? This Christmas, I, aside, is blazing bright. Blazing bright. Yeah, we're caroling through the night. Better, yeah. This Christmas, and as we trim the tree, how much fun is gonna be together, yeah I My world is filled with cheering you. you, 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 yeah. The
1: said about acapella music. I don't believe there's any more outstanding vocal prowess than for a group like Pentatonics to do what you just heard them do. That's a great song, but boy, they made it greater, didn't they? Well, if you weren't at the top of the show, we've got some very interesting news to bring to you. Mike Johnson, brand new Speaker of the House. You're going to hear from him in just a second. But Let me tell you what just happened minutes ago on the steps of the U.S. Capitol. Looks like the question mark was, will Hunter Biden honor his uh, subpoena to appear before a congressional committee this morning? And apparently he is. On his way into the Capitol, he stopped to speak to the media that were gathered there. And it obviously what he said was prepared remarks. His attorneys are going to make sure whenever he gets in front of a television camera or a microphone, Hunter's going to be saying the right things. So let me tell you this, whatever you hear, anything to do with the allegations of wrongdoing by Hunter Biden and or Joe Biden going forward through the 2024 election, know this, whatever they say are prepared remarks. There is obviously now an agenda. The summation of what Hunter had to say, I got it almost maybe the last minute or so I didn't get because I had to get in here and get on the show. Almost everything that he said, he was damning the Republican Party, trying to kill him, trying to kill his dad. He didn't do anything that was illegal. And his father had nothing to do with any of his business, nor did his father receive any money from Hunter's businesses. And we all know those are lies. We've got hardcore evidence that disprove every one of those allegations. So when you hear or see these kind of things being prepared, look for the answers that are Always contained, not in the things you're seeing or hearing at the time, but it's a planned operation that they are either already deep into or they're preparing to cover everybody as much as they possibly can. Now, how could this be? Hunter Biden did a bunch of wrongdoing, illegal action. We all know that. He's been charged with things that are going to send him to jail. And I have a comment about that in just a second. But he is, as I said months ago, Joe Biden is at some point in the future going to be forced to throw Hunter Biden under the bus, to take one for the big guy. Now what we are about to see, and the reason Hunter's coming forward today, this is all a planned thing the timing what he said this morning and what he's going to testify to and again I'm kind of at a disadvantage Uh, I can't turn the sound up here on the monitors in the studio for obvious reasons but uh, we're watching the headlines and we'll keep you posted throughout the morning as long as it's going to last but somebody's got to take the fall for all this wrongdoing and every day more and more arrows point toward the big guy as being complicit, if not the author of any or all of this, Joe Biden is implicated. But Joe, unless Joe is absolutely stone-cold stupid, and I don't think he is, I think he has severe cognitive declination going on right now. He's declining. It's obvious almost day to day. So he knows his time at the top, is certainly limited if there's going to be much more time at the top at all. So what the plan is, is to keep deflecting any responsibility away from the president, Joe Biden. And Hunter, take the heat. And they're going to want to get this whole thing resolved with Hunter and the impeachment upcoming uh, inquiry that's going to be formalized in a vote in the house later today to get all that on the way rolling along as quickly as possible so that hunter is either going to be convicted of a myriad of crimes that he's already charged with new crimes probably on the way he's going to plead guilty and he's going to go on record as being guilty of all these crimes And they're going to do all this in a hurry. Why so much in a hurry? Joe and his handlers are not so sure that he's going to be able to sustain a campaign to run for re-election next year in November 2024. So what does that mean? Even though the president has made it very clear again and again, he will not pardon his son if his son is convicted. I promise you, Joe will pardon, a full pardon for whatever Hunter Biden is convicted of or pleads guilty to. I promise you that is going to happen. And they're beginning to see that the light at the end of the tunnel is really a train. And it's getting faster and faster headed for both of them. They're not going to be able to salvage everything for everybody. But they're... Legal Beagles and whoever their political handlers are, I promise you, they've all gotten together and they mapped out the contingency plan and they're in phase one of that today. I don't miss, I don't make many predictions and I don't miss very many when I come out and make them. I told you days, weeks after Joe Biden assumed the presidency, he wouldn't finish this term. I still feel like that's the way it's going to play out. I don't think he's going to be capable of filling, finishing this term. Don't know what's going to happen. Who's going to assume it? I'm assuming at that particular point, Vice President Harris will still be VP. She would assume the keys to the White House at that point for the rest of this term. Think about having Kamala Harris running the ship for over a year. Oh, my God. Would that be hard? It's a very strong probability, in my opinion. So, all that being said, Congressman Mike Johnson, he's been around really on the talking circuit for quite a bit, answering questions, some pretty serious questions he's being asked. For instance, what's going on about our budgeting? You know, we've still got some of our uh, budget that must be put together and passed legally. Congress is liable for presenting a budget every year, and we're about to run out of this year, and we do have a chunk of it all put together, but there's still some missing points. What are we doing about that? Are we going to get it resolved, or after the first of the year, is the government going to shut down? That's still hanging out there. But in the shadows of that every day is what's going on with the president regarding the allegations against him and the pending impeachment formal inquiry. And then the 900-pound gorilla in the the, uh, air yesterday was Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky coming over here begging for more money. And by the way, he got some in the way of Military material. He got another couple of hundred million dollars worth of ammunition and backup machinery for the war. That, President Biden had the authority. He's giving that away, drawing down on our own military budget. So, Mike Johnson, step to the microphone. Capitol Hill, a busy place. And, uh, sorry about that. He stepped out yesterday, and he really plainly answered questions, the answers to which we all want to hear.
3: Capitol Hill, a busy place, the subject of funding Ukraine, Israel, the border, Republican demands for changes in the president's policy when it comes to the border, all making for some tense final days before Congress takes its holiday break. Joining us to break it all down is the new House Speaker, Mike Johnson. Mr. Speaker, thanks for being here.
4: Brett, great to be with you. First, let me get you to
3: react to... uh, President Zelensky, I know you met with him behind closed doors uh, and his concern about funding. Where does that stand, and what what was your reaction to what he said?
4: Well, I didn't hear all of the interview, but I did spend some time with him today, and I told President Zelensky uh, a very clear message. It's the same thing I've been telling to the White House uh, since the day I got the gavel, and that is that we stand with the Ukrainian people, the beleaguered people of Ukraine, and against Vladimir Putin's brutal uh, attack, his invasion of their country. But... Um, we have to get our own house in order first. And what I've told the White House and I reiterated to President Zelensky today, is that we have to have some clarity. We've been asking the White House for a clear strategy that will allow Ukraine to prevail in this conflict, and they've not provided satisfactory answers. We need clarity on the oversight. Over the precious treasury the taxpayer dollars of the uh, american citizens and and we need to know how that money is being spent and and what the end game is and the white house has been completely unclear about that
3: is it possible that a no ukraine aid could happen in the republican caucus
4: well listen i i think that there is uh the majority of the republicans and the democrats in the house for uh, by by way of example would vote for ukraine aid if there is sufficient clarity on these questions and also, of course, if we have uh, really transformational change at the U.S. border.
3: Well, let's talk about that. Are there significant steps that are happening, negotiations still going on uh, with Secretary Mayorkas and others in the administration about changes?
4: Uh, Well, I hope so. Look, I've been crystal clear about this. You know, if we're going to have a national security package of spending, national security begins at our own border. This is about our own sovereignty. Um, it, th- these are policy changes that could be easily made, uh, but the White House has been very reluctant. Uh, they, they really went silent on us uh, all of this time. Now, I've been the speaker for a little over six weeks, almost seven weeks, and since the day I, I was handed the gavel, I've been saying that this was the condition, um, that we had to do this first. And and we passed H.R. 2, the House passed our bill six months ago. It's been sitting on the desk of Chuck Schumer ever since. They've not taken us seriously, and here we are at the end of the year, and now they're saying we've run out of time. It's not the House's fault.
3: It's yeah, here is uh, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell on the timing of all of this. Take a listen.
4: They're leaving at the end of the week,
5: so all I have said is practically impossible, even though we reach an agreement to craft it, get it through the Senate, get it through the House before Christmas. That doesn't mean it's not important. And even though we've been emphasizing the border, I want to remind everybody of the importance of Ukraine.
3: So just logistically, is it, would you send the House home and then call them back if there's a deal, or just punt everything to January?
4: Um, look, the House will do its work if there was a deal, but it has not materialized. And as of tonight, uh, they have given us the cold shoulders. So they're ignoring this. Uh, wh- what I believe is the top priority of the American people, it doesn't matter where I've been in the country over the last few weeks, Brett, uh, whether I'm in New York or the southeast or out west, they all say the same thing. They're deeply concerned about what's happening. We had 12,000 people come over that border one day last week and Wednesday. If you look at the statistics from October, November, and so far in December, more people have crossed that border illegally since any entire year during the Obama administration. It is not a sustainable situation. It is uh, harming our country in ways that are uh, hard to describe, and we have to get on top. So
3: what's the red line when it comes to border policy to get supplemental through?
4: Listen, the, the House's position is H.R. 2. It has very important provisions like asylum reform, parole reform, the end of the uh, catch-and-release policies. The and if they don't go all
3: the way to H.R. 2, could they get someplace that's satisfactory?
4: It's it's That's our position, but they have yet to come back and even volley anything over the net. So that's our position, and we've been very resolute about that.
3: There are a lot of other issues up on Capitol Hill, as I know you're figuring out as the new House speaker. The Hill writes this, the GOP clash nixes John Johnson plan for floor showdown on surveillance reforms. Representative Dan Bishop, a judiciary member, said he believes Johnson needs to back one of the two proposals, adding that the Queen of the Hill idea epitomizes Congress's stupidity. Mike Johnson is a great guy. He's under all the pressure that Washington brings to bear, and he'll figure out a path given sufficient time. This deals with Section 702 of the FISA Act, which lapses. You pulled two competing uh, bills from the floor. Where is this? And do you think it's been mishandled?
4: Uh, Well, it has been mishandled. It's a very complicated issue. Uh, Section 702 of FISA is what protects us from attacks on the homeland. This is why we haven't had another 9-11 because of this very important surveillance provision in the law. But it was also abused by the FBI, by our own uh, government, uh, over almost 300,000 times between 2020 and 2021. And so the civil liberties of Americans have been jeopardized by that. It must be reformed. We have two committees of jurisdiction working on it simultaneously, House Judiciary, House Intel. They came up with two different bills that have some pretty clear distinctions between them. And uh, I thought in the small-D democratic fashion we should sort that out because it's so important. This is not any regular area of policy. This deals with national security, and we've got to get it right. So if it takes a little bit more time to do that, I think that's worth that.
3: So that gets you to April, and then you got to get something... Ironed out?
4: Yeah, well, but I hope and, and believe that we can get it done in early January. There, there is consensus on 38 of 45 reforms that were composed by a, a large group that worked on this, and we've got to figure out those final details and get it done.
3: You know, we talk a lot in the weeds here on the show. I think people know how Washington works when they're watching this. You all did not do a single spending bill after Thanksgiving. Um, there's really not clarity what the top line is. So how do you avoid a government shutdown when it comes to January, considering where you are right now?
4: Yes, look, we we did the continuing resolution into January and February. And what was really important about that, this innovation, is it broke the Christmas omnibus fever every year, as long as I've been in Congress, and many years before that. The Senate would jam the House right before the Christmas holiday with a massive thousands-of-page-long bill that no one had read or amended or debated, and it would spend, you know, last year $1.7 trillion. Um, That's not the way to run a railroad. And so we broke that fever. We got it into January, February So now there's sufficient time to do the negotiations. We do need to agree upon the final top line so that our appropriators can get in the room and hash it out. Uh, But this is another situation where we're waiting on the Senate to act. We sent our proposal, which is the statutory FRA uh, number, and um, they're they're just not responding. So we're waiting on them to volley back.
3: What's the top priority? You're heading into an election year. You've got a very slim majority, and it's actually getting narrower as you lose a couple of members like George Santos and and others. Um, What's the top priority? Uh,
4: Well, the top priority is to keep and grow our majority. Why? So we can save the country from the policies that or destroying it. Uh, the Biden administration, in our view, has been an abject failure for the people. The Democrat uh, majority in the Senate has been accomplices in that, and we've got to turn this thing around. I'm very bullish on the future, Brett. I think we're going to have a great election cycle for conservatives and Republicans because we're offering an alternative to all this. We have answers to all these great challenges, and our candidates and our incumbents are excited to get out there on the on the campaign trail and, and talk about that because I think it resonates with the people.
3: There's some concern in the caucus Um, that the push for impeachment is losing some steam. Uh, Do you see that? Uh, and where do you see impeachment of President Biden, the inquiry that opens up the, the investigation?
4: Yes, look, you know, my background's constitutional law. We follow the Constitution. I've said over and over, we're the rule of law team. So tomorrow we'll be voting on the inquiry. Why are we doing that? Because it's the next necessary step. The White House has stonewalled this investigation. It's gone methodically, carefully, as the Constitution requires of us. It's a very serious matter. But right now they're not turning over documents. They're not turning over key witnesses. And we'll have to uh, defend our subpoena is in court. So to do that, you need an impeachment inquiry vote from the full House. We'll have that tomorrow. I believe it will pass. And we'll be in the best position to continue to do our constitutional responsibility.
3: Exactly four years ago. uh, This is Representative Mike Johnson.
4: The founders of this country warned against a single-party impeachment for good reason. They feared that it would bitterly and perhaps irreparably divide our nation. As the next election in 2020 is drawing so close now, and their candidates for president are so terribly weak, they obviously met somewhere at liberal high command about 75 days ago and convinced Nancy Pelosi they had to pull the trigger. I hope and pray that future Congresses can and will exercise greater restraint.
3: So the moderates in your caucus would say, why not exercise greater restraint now?
4: Well, we've shown great restraint. I mean, there are a lot of people who are uh, frustrated that this hasn't moved faster. But there's a big distinction. I stand by every word I said in that video. There's a big distinction between what's happening now and what the Democrats do. Those, those were those are rushed sham impeachments. They did it quickly. They did not follow any of the procedures that I just described. Uh, we have three committees investigating this and following the truth where they lead and they have no Uh, No, no option in doing anything else. It's Ways and Means Judiciary and Oversight, and they've uncovered some alarming facts about the Biden family and their dealings.
3: I mentioned the House balance of power. As you look at it, it's actually with the vacancy. Santos is one vacancy, uh, but it's very, very tight. And you have a number of GOP-held districts where Joe Biden won in 2020, 17 without uh, Santos. As you look ahead, are you concerned about this majority?
4: No, I think we're going to grow the majority. I really do, and and I'm basing that on uh, my experience out in the field. I've traveled to many of these districts over the last few weeks uh, doing uh, events in our incumbents uh, areas, and even in the deep blue states, Brett, we're we're running very well. Republican candidates are running well, and the reason is uh, people there are frustrated. They have Democrat, leftist, progressive governors and mayors who are destroying their economies, and crime is rising and all the other problems, and their outlet then is to vote for a Republican for the house because that really is the only option they have to send a message that way and so uh... the polling is very good you know fundraising is going well the grassroots is excited we have to deliver on that if we can demonstrate that we can govern well and i think we can i think we're going to grow this majority i think we're going to win the senate and the white house
3: Antisemitism. Uh, seems to be going into politics here. People are really upset what they're seeing at college campuses, what they're seeing in different parts of society. What's your take on that, number one? And number two, what possibly does the house do about it
4: well it's shocking to see these college presidents uh, as we all have seen the video over one billion times the video has been seen now of their alarming answers that they could not say unequivocally that the calling for the genocide of the jewish people violates their values or, or their codes of conduct Uh, It's outrageous. Uh, One of those presidents lost their position. I think the other two uh, should as well. Uh, But but Congress is looking at a number of measures. One of them is oversight over these institutions. They receive a lot of federal taxpayer dollars, and we want to know what they're doing with that. Um, I think there needs to be accountability for this kind of thing. The the, the rise in anti-Semitism is just alarming, and and Jewish uh, students at these institutions and people in cities around the country are have great apprehension and great fear about their own safety right now. It's just, this is not who we are as Americans, and we've got to stand against it. It's not
1: very often that the people of America get to hear the current Speaker of the House, whoever that is, be able to get up and answer the questions that Brett Baird of Fox News asked Mike Johnson, and to hear the Speaker give the exact truths in detail when answering questions. I know Mike personally, so I have a little edge on some people. But when he's matter-of-fact, he's matter-of-fact. He doesn't embellish. And so he asked the questions that a lot of us have wanted to hear the answers to. And he did a good job with that. I appreciate him doing that. It's going to be interesting to watch the stuff that happens in the next few days. While that interview was being played here at TNN Live, We got some big news here in our studio. Number one, it's about Hunter Biden. I told you that he appeared on the steps in front of the Capitol going in to supposedly testify before Congress as he was subpoenaed to do. Well, the only reason he went to the Capitol was to hold this press conference and to tell everybody that he's the the guy that is... Unjustly charged and being chased, and it has nothing to do with him. It's all about those evil Republicans trying to get rid of his dad. My dad did nothing. I did nothing. And then after he he spoke for four or five minutes, he got up, walked up the steps to the Capitol. When he went inside, he didn't go inside to testify. In fact, he went in to say, "I'm not going to testify." So that opens up a new possibility. What is the Congress going to do about that? He was formally subpoenaed, and he is refusing to honor the terms of that subpoena. Now, what basis is he doing that? Well, his lawyer wants a public hearing, and the leaders in the Republican Party in the House, they subpoenaed him to appear in a private hearing session with the committee rather than a television show, which is what it would turn out to be. In fact, that particular way of conducting very serious uh, committee hearings on a lot of different levels and a lot of different things involved in it, it's normal for these to be behind closed door hearings. Now, leaders in that committee, including former member of the House Judiciary Committee, now the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, they made it very clear up front, we are going to release the content verbatim, word for word, after the fact, but to make sure that it's not politicized live around the nation, we demand, as Democrats do all the time themselves, we want a closed-door hearing so we can ask questions and get answers and not play politics during the hearing. Hunter said, nope, not going to do it. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. What else is going on? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's spinning and spinning and spinning. A huge notification came out during that interview with Mike Johnson. The Supreme Court agreed this morning they're going to hear a case that has major implications for those hundreds of January 6th defendants, and one of those defendants, big-name defendants, it's going to uh, affect him, former President Donald Trump. He's been charged for alleged efforts on his part to overturn the 2020 election. Now, this was a very brief Supreme Court order. It says the justices agreed to hear a case stemming from one of the January 6 defendants, a guy named Joseph Fisher. His request to dismiss a charge against him, the charges for obstructing an official proceeding. That case, his case, provides the Supreme Court a chance to rule on the scope of a statute, a federal statute, Section 1512C2 which, he argues, has been used to charge hundreds of other J-6 defendants in an unprecedented extension of the statute's reach. Now, what does this mean? Here's what his motion at the Supreme Court is taking up, what it says. hundreds of cases have been and will be affected by the scope of Section 1512C2, including a case against the former president. In addition, the use of Section 1512C 2 outside evidence impairment crimes is an extraordinary and unprecedented extension of the statute's reach and authority. The statute threatens to levy fines or up to 20 years in prison for anybody who, quote, obstructs, influences, or impedes any official proceeding. January 6th, defendants, including Fisher, have been charged under that clause for obstructing Congress's certification of President Joe Biden's victory. Trump also faces the obstruction charge in his indictment for his alleged efforts to interfere with the 2020 election. Fisher argues the government seeks to sever the statute from its legislative historical and and textual moorings. Remember, the Supreme Court's sole job is to look at every case they bring before them and that they take up and compare the charges, the outcome in any of the previous litigation that happens regarding a specific government statute. All the Supreme Court is able to and is supposed to do and does is determine if the action taken by the government was legal, constitutional, according to the rule of law. The D.C. Circuit's expansion of that statute, beyond evidence impairment to protest at the seat of government, conflicts with the interpretations of other courts of appeal, limiting the scope of the same statute. In other words, precedents out there say, this doesn't apply in this. There are a bunch of previous... uh, charges of this very nature that have been brought against people, and the courts have ruled they can't charge these people for that. It's unconstitutional. So there are a couple of other defendants, a guy named Edward Lang, another named Garrett Miller, also earlier on asked the Supreme Court to dismiss obstruction charges against them. So that's another little curveball. J6 stuff is getting kind of hot. And by the way, our interview yesterday with Steve Baker in which he gave a amazing expose about the wrongdoing on the part of two Capitol Police whose testimonies have literally on their own merits, not merits, but what they said under oath, plagiarizing. I'm not, I'm, they didn't, they're not copying something, but they're lying under oath, sent people To jail. And what is that going to do? As we talked about yesterday, if you were with us, you heard Steve bring this up. It's going to open up. It already has Pandora's box. This particular case hangs on that a little bit. J6 stuff, Democrats are doing their darndest to get it buried behind us and to move on. But that's not happening and it's not going to happen. There is too much wrongdoing on the part of federal agents of our government in multiple bureaus and multiple congressional committees and it's being opened up and it's not going to be pretty for these alleged offenders of the law and there are some very heavyweight people you heard about jamie raskin yesterday what he did was totally illegal. He got a Capitol policeman to steal some Capitol Police letterhead and to write a letter and he dictated what these two capital cops were supposed to put in that letter and for them to distribute it to media that's a member of Congress. A representative from Maryland, Jamie Raskin, is in that. Who else is in it? Well, mainstream media is in it. There's a whole lot more going on around us. Much more than we even know, but worse than that, much more than we can even consider as possibilities right now. This nation is in a bad place, politically for sure, economically for sure. What else is there? foreign and domestic product. All of those things roll in. What, what are our foreign affairs like? Nobody's afraid of the formerly most powerful nation on the planet anymore. Our would-be opponents are now standing up and flexing their muscles to show us what they're willing to do and that they have the power to do it now. We're too weak to stop them. When in my lifetime, 70 years, when in my lifetime, Has there ever been a government that aggressively went after us, knowing full well that we could smash them? They don't think that anymore, and why is that? Feckless leadership. You can't come up with another reason for this happening to us today, and I can't see it getting any better anytime soon.
2: 35 years after the original movie, Fox is bringing you back to where it all began.
3: Nobody puts baby in the corner. This is the real Dirty Dance.
2: Eight celebrities compete to become the real Baby and Johnny.
3: Forget my Johnny here.
2: Some will rise. Some will fall. All will have the time of their life. The Real Dirty Dancing four-week event.
6: Starts Tuesday at 9 on Fox 5.
7: Ready, set, ABC Tonight. It's all about big cash. Here we go. And big crash. <laughs> on the new season of Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, one star will spin it. Give me the to win it all. The big winner of $1 million. Then <laughs> host Leslie Jones is off to the races on Supermarket Suite.
5: On your carts. Get set.
3: Yeah. And
7: we're going to need a cleanup on every aisle. You are on fire. <laughs> it all starts tonight, 87 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. The following
6: is an important time insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right, the clock is not ticking. Walk, crawl, or lollygag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries was four seventy-nine, now just two ninety-nine. But act now or later because these staples' everyday price cuts will be around for a really, really long time. Price cuts like a two pack of Scotch Magic tape, previously $479, now just $299. And Scotch Packaging tape, now just $229 for today, tomorrow, and pretty much every day till the cows come home. But don't hurry. These everyday price cuts are indefinite. To repeat, these prices will last. So stop by your nearest staples whenever it's convenient and take advantage of these normal, continuing everyday price cuts.
0: Thank you. Need more cowbell? Better yet, how about the Ring of Truth? TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman.
1: My least favorite thing to hear at a sports outing, at a game, cowbells. I cannot stand them. They grate on me. They're loud, which they're purposefully made to be loud, and I get it but can't somebody come up with something with a little more creative input so that it makes sense coming out of it? First time I ever really saw that or heard it in person was at a Mississippi State football game. Now, I know Mississippi's, you know, it's a very rural state, and Mississippi State is in a part of Mississippi. If there is any part of Mississippi that's different from the other one's, but they're rural, and so cowbills kind of fit into that. But I just can't stand them. And people in most arenas, certainly inside, but not all, but in stadiums, they're banning them because they're so stinking loud. Of course, that's what they're made to do is to be stinking loud, right? In the vein of what we went into the break talking about, how tough and bad things are, in just a moment, Larry Kudlow's going to come, and he's going to break down some of the real dangers that our nation is facing, that our leadership chose for us to face it needlessly. But I'm I'm going to bring one thing to your attention before we listen to Larry Kudlow. You remember four or five days ago, I talked about these not-for-profit dark money groups that are funding all of the so-called protests. That in many cases, they're really not a protest. They may start there, but they morph into uh, a riot. It started in earnest back when we were dealing with the every-night crap going on up in Oregon, Portland, Oregon. You remember those? Every night. It was the same people it looked like, Antifa thugs, and they were burning down downtown Portland. We ended up having a couple of people that were killed. Cops were wounded. They actually were shining lights into federal cops' eyes, and a couple of those feds were blinded permanently when they on that. Somebody was organizing that, and come to find out it's been happening for a long time, and there's a lot of big-time funding and a lot of big-time organizing. In an unexpected turn of events, a watchdog group report has unveiled that, you remember I told you about the Tides Foundation out in San Francisco? It's a nonprofit, but Tides Foundation has been bankrolling groups that are orchestrating the right now stuff going on, the pro-Palestinian rallies. The Tides Foundation, not a little bitty operation. They have already distributed over $22 million for a myriad of causes. And it draws a share of its funding from guess who? George Soros through his Open Society Foundations Network. Already, the potpourri of all of their money that's coming in, combined with Georges, 22000000 million they've spent. The report, which is published by the Capital Research Center, which is a watchdog operation, they disclose that the aforementioned money were funneled to liberal organizations who actively participate in pro-Palestinian activism. One such beneficiary is the Mass Liberation Projects Arizona chapter, which is directly affiliated and an entity of the Tides Foundation. The Arizona chapter of the Mass Liberation Project, they openly acknowledge Hamas as a legitimate political entity. They voice support for the Palestinian resistance against what it terms as ethnic cleansing perpetrated by, guess who? Us, the U.S. government. This stand has stirred controversy, critics interpreting it as an endorsement of Hamas by us, deemed a terrorist organization by numerous governments worldwide. Not us anymore, Jewish Voice for Peace, and if not now, two groups under the Tides Foundation's financial umbrella. Those two were implicated in a protest within the U.S. Capitol Rotunda that led to about 300 arrests by the U.S. Capitol Police. So in response to the emergency controversy, which it is, a spokesperson for Soros' Open Society Foundation said their organization's condemnation of Hamas is real. They emphasized their advocacy for a future that upholds everybody's rights and freedoms. The Tides Foundation, however, remained quiet when they were asked about what they think. So as these revelations have come to light, every day more information is being discovered about who and how much and where this money is really coming from. They are poised to spark more debate, more scrutiny over the complex web of funding channels and the ideologies that they fuel. Implications of all of this foreshadow a challenging discourse on the ethics and the transparency of nonprofit funding. Now, what you've got to realize this is not just a casual fly by night thing, Tides Foundation and what they're doing. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of 501c3 nonprofit organizations that are established. Under the pretenses of being really, really good arbiters of dollars that their contributors give to them to parse out for specific causes in a nonprofit atmosphere things that the private sector can't do or will not do and talk about. It looked to me when we first saw these Palestinian, pro Palestinian get togethers little more than demonstrations or riots is what they really were and are, that it was just too obvious that this was all coordinated and planned. All those big banners that they use, all the flags, the transportation that they come into these towns and cities on charter buses. Think about hotel rooms, food, and they're actually paying people to come demonstrate. $22 million alone from the Tides Foundation. If it quacks and waddles, it's always a duck. Now, there are a lot of other catastrophic events that are going on. There is probably not a single sector of your life in which there's not some government overreach, government doing things they are not supposed to do, and big money going to impact you and your family and your lives and your business, if you've got one, but certainly your economic conditions. And we don't even know about it. And when we find out these people that fall into all this are really real, these protesters are being paid astronomical dollars. And typically, they don't have any feelings one way or the other about the Palestinian people, even Hamas. But they're there to make a buck. And I guess basically they're there because they're sold a bill of sale that says, if you do this with us, we're going to pay you first, but you're also going to be doing a good thing. Cudlow broke down how this and other stuff is really impacting Americans' lives. And it's not just economically.
5: All right, a bunch of big stories today. Joe Biden says Israel is losing support. Oh my gosh. Meanwhile, Chuck Schumer and the Democrats still won't come to their senses on closing the border, even as tens of thousands of illegal migrants are streaming into the U.S. on a daily basis. And meanwhile, Donald Trump appears to be fighting Jack Smith and the Supreme Court at the same time. We're going to have live reports from Capitol Hill and the southern border in just a few moments. Later on the show, we're going to go to Israel, where the IDF is mopping up Hamas left and right. But first, a few quick points on my part. I want to talk about why Joe Biden is so unpopular in economic terms. Consumer inflation jumped slightly in November, but that marks the 32nd straight month, with annual uh, percentage rising significantly faster than the 2% Federal Reserve target. Hat tip for Breitbart's John Carney for nagging all of us about this key point. Inflation has slowed, but it's still rising, and it's still well above the Fed's target. Now, here's just Joe Biden's problem. Since February 2021, which was his first month as president, consumer prices are up 17%. But average weekly earnings up only 12.8%. So That's a drop in take-home pay for typical families of over four percentage points. And that is a killer for Joe Bidenomics. Meanwhile, you look under the hood, grocery prices are up 21%. That's another killer for Joe Bidenomics. Energy prices, which have come down, are still up over 30%. Gasoline prices well off their highs but even at $3.13 AAA nationally, they were $2 last Christmas. Ouch. Another killer for Joe Bidenomics. So eating at home? Well, chicken is up 24%. Beef's up 22%. Cereals and bakery up 25%. Now you gotta eat your veggies and have some fruits too, but that's up 13.5%. Milk for the babies? Well, dairy's up over 16%. And here's another one you might not think of, fertilizer. That's up nearly 36%. And why is that important? Because it affects farm prices big time. And why is fertilizer up 36%? Because of the Bidenomics Green New Deal war on fossil fuels. But even with all these economic and political killers, President Biden still has not wised up. He just intensified his war on natural gas by issuing a regulation to abolish methane. But as Steve Moore points out, this is preposterous because natural gas, which is a clean burning fuel, is the biggest reason that carbon emissions have declined in recent years. In fact, Joe Bidenomics wants to abolish coal and natural gas, which combined is 60% of our total electric power. And, of course, natural gas comes from oil, so that closes the fossil fuel circle, doesn't it? This is crazy. Killing electricity, jacking up farm and food prices, sinking family wages. You know, I'd really like to meet Sultan al-Jabbar. He is the uh, UAE host of this UN climate conference. What is it? COP28. He said, and I'm going to quote, please help me. Show me a roadmap for a phase out of fossil fuel that will allow for sustainable socioeconomic development, unless you want to take the world back to the caves.
1: A lot of truths buried in what you just heard there. A lot of truth. Too many moving parts for us to get our brains around. We talk about inflation, it's just a word, right? It doesn't impact us. Well, it does. Everything the government does does not get done in a vacuum. It impacts everything else and every American. And politics just, that's a bomb that gets dropped in the middle of everything that we could possibly use to get all this stuff straightened out. And it's weaponized politically. It shouldn't be even Part of what we do regarding economics and things that Americans have to deal with, there's no way around them. And big government steps in, and when they weigh in themselves, we don't have a choice anymore. Example. This Ukraine support for the nation of Ukraine, in the middle of this war, they didn't want it. It came to them with Russia. We've given them billions of dollars in support. Now, we're a long way. The United States is a long way away from Ukraine. One would think that all those European nations would rally and get together around Ukraine and make sure they had every bit of infrastructure, dollars and cents, everything they needed, military equipment, regular help in operating their nation for all of the destruction That Russia has done to that nation. I mean, their infrastructure is a nation. It's just almost depleted. Zelensky comes over begging for money. Now, to do that, it's going to take Republicans and Democrats, it's going to take members of the House of Representatives and members of the Senate to get together and agree on things. So, how does legislation normally come together? Each party's got their own perspective. And each party wants it to include this and this and this, but to definitely not include that, that, and that. You know what I'm talking about. So in real leadership, in government, here's how real leadership works. People within these two political parties, people that are in leadership, they get together with each other and they come up with a plan that addresses the needs. In this case, we're talking about Ukraine. And they come up with a plan. And the plan, it will include what Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, asked for. It'll include some other things. But there should be some checks and balances on anything that their government spends money on. Because the government doesn't have any money. The only money they have is what we give to them to work for us with, right? It's our tax money. So with all of this money, all the check writing that has taken place, and all of the cryptocurrency, by the way, and you've heard that story, we know a bunch of the crypto that was sent in that first $50 billion, a bunch of it didn't go directly to Ukraine, and a bunch of that ended up in some private folks' pockets along the way. Who were they? How much was it? We don't know. You know why we don't know? There is no oversight of what we give to Ukraine and how it is being used once it gets out of our hands and into their hands. Mike Johnson, other leaders in the Democrat uh, the, the Republican Party in the House of Representatives, they're screaming, we want accountability, we want to know where that money's going. There are rumors all over the place. Other people other than Zelensky are getting all of a sudden filthy rich in Ukraine. Yachts galore. And of course, you don't keep a yacht in Ukraine. Typically where they park them is somewhere on the Mediterranean Sea. And we're finding out a bunch of previously wealthy Ukrainians are buying these 60, 70, 80, 100 million dollar yachts where's that money come from? They didn't have that money before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. They weren't buying all these yachts. All of a sudden, these oligarchs in Ukraine have a lot of money. Are any of those dollars ours? Wouldn't that be a smart question to ask of President Zelensky? Sure it would be. Democrats won't do it. They refuse to agree to have an auditing provision that is attached to the money that we've already given them, but if you want some more, we've got to agree to everything be audited going forward. They won't agree to it. That's just one little example. So he's over here begging for money. The Senate yesterday voted to table a measure from House Republicans to provide assistance, financial assistance to Israel with emergency aid while cutting the budget of the Internal Revenue Service. Now, why is it done this way? It's always been done this way. It's compromise. It's negotiation. That's what government-appointed and elected people are supposed to do. We're supposed to pull together and negotiate on the big issues of the day. That's what we're supposed to do. They don't want to do that. Democrats, it's my way or the highway. Congressman Mike Johnson, speaker in the part, the segment you heard just a little bit ago, he told us before he became speaker, the House had put together a proposal for all of this. And we were going to agree. We Republicans, conservatives, I'm not a Republican, But I am a conservative. I'm a little more conservative than the straight-down Republican line in political conversations. But that being said, here's what we will do. We want to reduce the number of those internal revenue agents. What was it, 80000 they were going to bring in? Take that money and put it as part of the aid we're talking about giving to both Ukraine and to Israel. We're going to do that. We want to see actual movement on securing our southern border, not Ukraine's, ours. And those are we will not negotiate unless those things are included in whatever bill and the things you want to talk about in this funding bill. They told them that months ago. They knew this wasn't going to be passed by Republicans, So yesterday, the vote passed on party lines in the Senate. The bill cleared the lower chamber earlier in November. The measure would have provided Israel with $14.3 billion in support in the middle of the ongoing conflict in Gaza while imposing matching cuts on the IRS to offset the expense. Twelve Democrats in the House joined with the Republicans to advance the plan. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer had called... That plan, a deeply flawed proposal. Schumer, on his part, had supported pairing emergency aid to Israel with more funding for Ukraine. But Republicans hoped to pair Ukraine funding with appropriations to bolster our border security in the middle of the unprecedented surge in illegal crossings. But they tabled the bill. That means they just put it on the table and said, we'll think about this later. Senate Republicans earlier this month, they unveiled a litany of their demands to pair Ukraine aid with border security, which Schumer rebuffed as a total non-starter. That's the kind of stuff we're having to deal with. And it's not very productive. Now, how about the nuts and bolts of this Ukraine continuation thing? Senator Ron Johnson, he had some good things that he shed light on answering my question tuesday during an api- uh, an appearance of his on fox news the ingram angle johnson who's from wisconsin a republican he rejected comments from his democrat colleagues that ukraine will win its war against its russian invaders johnson called biden's push for ukrainian victory a fool's errand So, Laura Ingram talked to the senator, and I didn't download the conversation. Let me just give you from the script. Here's the Q&A. Laura Ingram, is this eighth grade? Let's start with them not losing. What are the American people gaining here? Johnson said, well, first of all, there's no strategy for Ukraine to win because it can't win. The only way they could win is they'd have to start lobbing missiles into Moscow to reduce Russia's support for the war, and they can't do that. Ingram, the Pentagon knows this, though, right? Johnson, yep. Ingram, the Pentagon knows knows that they have lost the war already. Johnson, this is 22 months. They tried, some offensive, it didn't work. This is a bloody stalemate. Every day that goes by, more Ukrainians die, more Russian conscripts die. Take no joy in that. More Ukraine gets destroyed. So this war should be brought to an end. The sooner the better because every day the outcome ends up being worse. It's going to have to be a negotiated settlement. And from a standpoint of, you know, what America wants, we want a secure border. Ingram said, but that's a separate thing. I mean, of course we want a secured border. This whole idea of tying them together, that was a fool's errand from the beginning tying our border to Ukraine. What do we do to Ukraine? Makes the zero sense. Johnson, the way that President Biden wanted to do, he just wanted more money to more efficiently encounter, process, and disperse. Meaning, give them more and more and more money. Also, Congressman Johnson, a private conversation he had with me, he said this, we demand that Ukraine allow us to audit what they did with all the money that we've given to them during this Russia conflict, this war with Russia. Sometimes none of this makes any sense whatsoever. None of it. And honestly, I'm not a stupid person. I'm pretty smart. And I can look and see what's good, what's true, what's wrong. I can do that. You can, too. We need our government representatives to give us the credit to say they know what we're doing. Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network.
6: A wild-caught filio fish and a sizzly double cheeseburger. Well, they're two classics that never go out of style. Hold on, wait, you're assembling a Surf Plus Turf McDonald's hack, which must make you a menu hacker. Yes, the Surf Plus Turf, available only on the McDonald's app. You get free medium fries and a drink. Oh, someone opened the app. I need to order and build one immediately.
2: The advanced surgeons at the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY. New
6: Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry dragon fruit and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.
7: See the bold new expression of sporty style. Hear the amazing quietness of a truly luxurious cabin. Feel the exceptional horsepower and amazing torque and experience greater acceleration than ever before. Behold, the most powerful sedan in its class. The new Toyota Camry. Real power, absolute performance. Discover the new Camry at toyota.com.my.
1: to be a hearing, or they're going to bring the, um, the vote to the floor of the House of Representatives today regarding formalizing an impeachment inquiry. And of course, the Democrats have just gone crazy about this. They're wasting time. They're spending money. They're delaying, delaying, delaying. No. You heard Congressman Mike Johnson explain there's a constitutional way to do this. And we don't want to do what they did twice to former President Donald Trump. They impeached him twice. They rushed. They didn't have any real meat on the bones that justified impeaching Donald Trump. But what they did was politicize that. That's the whole purpose of impeachment the way that Democrats have done it. Not just now, but in the past. And it's supposed to be a bipartisan effort. So what has happened that's taken so long for the Republicans to get to where we are today, where they're about to vote to have a formal impeachment hearing investigation to get and force, force the White House to finally give up, provide documents, and provide people to come answer questions, White House people about all of the stuff that allegedly has happened. Now, a bunch of it is not alleged at this point. You realize that. A bunch of it's factual. We have hundreds of those uh, documents that come from banks when they receive unusual large overseas wire transfers into any corporation or any American's bank accounts. We have that proof. And you've heard it ad nauseum. I'm not going to go into that. But what we're trying to get to and has to happen before a determination is made, a vote is taken to actually impeach Joe Biden is to get these few missing pieces that are missing because they refuse to come testify. Just like Hunter Biden today. Now, that's not about impeachment, but it's about things that would likely confirm the responsibility in all of this wrongdoing that right now Hunter's the only one charged for, and they won't do it. And I'll ask this question again. They want it to go away. Democrats want it all to go away. This is nothing but a political circus. There's no there, there. There's nothing to get there. Well, we can make this go away in one day. Give us evidence. Give us evidence, Mr. President. Give us your actual bank records of every account of yours and any entity that was yours or you were involved in or that gave you money. Just give it to us. Prove that. And if there's no there there, when we get through with that, we're done. We'll just go on down the road and you can finish this term as president, and run for re-election if you want to. But if they didn't do anything wrong, if President Biden did nothing wrong, why is he so desperate to not have to come forward and provide anything at all? Why would they refuse to if they're not guilty? That's the question that's being asked and asked and asked. And there are no answers. They refuse that. (laughs) That almost always, that means only one thing in politics, only one. There's some there there. So yesterday, CNN's Phil Mattingly, he was interviewing New York Democrat Rep. Dan Goldman over Democrats' efforts to impeach former President Trump. Now, if you put this one that's pending, it might roll into a formal impeachment against Biden, but that's not set yet. But obviously, the left want to, and they did go after Donald Trump twice. House Republicans today are planning to hold a vote to formalize an impeachment inquiry and into Joe Biden as president. Now, again, remember this is only his official capacity, Congressman. This is what Mattingly asked of Dan Goldman, who is. In, in my eyes, the most egregious, nastiest uh, unrealistic member of the House of Representatives. He's obnoxious. Story for another day. Mattingly, Congressman, can I ask what's interesting is you listen to what Congressman Buck, Ken Buck is saying, what a lot of the moderate Republicans are saying in terms of their willingness to get behind the formalized vote. I went back and read Speaker Pelosi's 2019 letter to the caucus on her decision to formalize the vote, and the rationale was the same in terms of facing obstruction. They needed more legal tools to get documents. I understand what you're saying about the difference between what the Trump counsel's office was doing versus what the Biden counsel's office in practice on the documents, But I think my question right now is, didn't you guys kind of lay the groundwork for everything the Republicans are doing right now? I don't even know who this Mattingly guy is, but I have a lot of respect for him now for asking that. So Goldman responded, if it were the case that the Biden administration was completely stonewalling and that President Biden said, I will defy all subpoenas and the Biden administration has turned over no documents, provided no witnesses, then, yes, the same logic would apply. But of course, Goldman said, that is not the case. The White House and the administration has been unbelievably cooperative with the fishing expedition of an investigation. Hmm. They have given essentially the Republicans every single thing they've asked for. You don't have to take my word for it. James Comer said it several months ago when he said he had 100% cooperation from the administration. This is an investigation in search of facts. There are allegations that are completely unfounded. And every single time a Republican is asked to point to specific direct evidence leaking Joe Biden to any misconduct, they're unable to be, to do it because it does not exist. Their own witnesses said that at the original and only public impeachment hearing. So this is just, so they are just trying to desperately find some rationale to go forward with it. But there is none. Maddenley said, but it's not just Republicans. It's Dean Phillips, the Democrat presidential candidate, who's also a colleague of yours in the House... He suggested in an interview that the impeachment inquiry into Biden could make him unelectable as a general election nominee. What is your response to that? Well, Goldman argued that polling in 18 Biden districts where a Republican currently holds a congressional seat shows voters are dissatisfied with their current representation and would be more so if an impeachment vote went forward. How can you even remotely tie Goldman's response to whether or not this impeachment inquiry should be formalized and initiated today? Do you think any Republicans are concerned about what Democrats who support Biden would think if they go and impeach him and nothing happens on the other side? Look. You're completely blind, deaf, and dumb, or just plain stupid if you look at everything that has been in the public purview about Joe Biden's wrongful, allegedly corrupt financial dealings as part of the Biden family syndicate. You're crazy if you don't think there's something there. And by the way, also, they have, the White House, has far from being cooperative and providing information, people to testify, documents. They haven't give the Republicans anything they've asked for, that it's anything of substance in this investigation. Republicans recently laid out how the Department of Justice strayed from normal procedures during its investigation into Hunter Biden in an effort to protect the president's son, but also, in doing that, they were protecting the president. The House Ways and Means Oversight Judiciary Committees released a report detailing how Biden-appointed U.S. Attorneys Matthew Graves, E. Martin Estrada, refused to cooperate with David Weiss on the case after the whistleblowers brought the issue to light. Now, just a, a P.S. now on Dan Goldman. He gets nasty in these hearings that take place. Any hearing that is looking any alleged wrongdoing on the part of Democrats in the face, anytime he's involved in that, he automatically goes to the other end of the spectrum. Facts, screw them. They don't matter. What I think and what's out there is the only thing that matters. If you don't have a gun and can prove that that gun not only can fire, but fired a bullet and that that bullet came out of that gun. Oh, by the way, that's not enough. you got to have the fingerprints on the gun that prove the person you're looking into is the one that pulled the trigger. Unless you have all of that, we're not going to give you any other stuff because that means you're too stupid to figure things out. You know who had the gun. You know whose gun it was, and you know who pulled the trigger. That logic is one way, one way only. That does not apply (laughs) to Democrats. Democrats have a whole different set of standards. And by the way, they, the Democrats, are the ones that determine what the standard is for them. Also, by the way, Democrats are the only ones that can adjudicate what conditions apply to their political counterparts. The Republicans. So, what you've all got to do, this is Dan Goldman speaking, and I'm sure if he hadn't said this in a hearing, he's thought it. You guys just need to shut up and sit down. We've got this. We're the only ones in the room that have any sense and can come up with real things to talk about. Kind of like this came to light the last few days the Biden Department of Justice asked the court to hide the surveillance of congressional investigators for five years. This is real now. One of the Senate investigators, whose personal phone and email records were seized by the DOJ as he was conducting congressional oversight of the agency, oversight of what agency? the Department of Justice. <laughs> this investigator told Just the News he's confirmed that the government successfully asked a federal court to hide its spying on Congress for five years. Jason Foster is now the head of the Empower Oversight Whistleblowers Center. In 2017, at the time of the secret surveillance, He was the chief investigative counsel for Chuck Grassley, senator from Iowa, who was a senior member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Foster yesterday said that lawyers for Google have now provided him documents that show that DOJ asked a federal magistrate for five consecutive years to delay notifying him that his data had been subpoenaed in an apparent federal leaks investigation. And that seizure of his personal data occurred back in 2017 while he worked for the Senate. Ordinarily under the original court order, Foster would have been notified a year later. But because the DOJ sought court approval ex parte to keep its surveillance secret, he wasn't alerted until just this fall, six years after the initial subpoena. By the way, ex parte actions or motions, hearings, or orders granted on the request of and for the benefit of one party only without notice to the other party. In this case, that would have been Foster. This is an exception to the basic rule of court procedure that both parties must present at any argument before a judge. At least a dozen Republican or Democrat members of Congress or their staff, including people like former House Intelligence Committee lawyer Cash Patel, also have been notified in recent months that Department of Justice spied on them. The DOJ Inspector General and the House Judiciary Committee have launched investigations into whether the surveillance of congressional staffers' communications was lawful or or violated the Constitution's Separation of Powers Clause. Patel filed a federal lawsuit alleging his civil rights have been violated. Foster said the court orders made clear the DOJ, under both Presidents Trump and Biden, kept making annual court requests after 2018 to keep the existence of the congressional subpoenas secret. These are orders from the court that say Google says to Google, you're not allowed to tell Jason or anybody else, any of his Democrat and Republican colleagues, whose information, whose phone records, whose text records you saw, you're not allowed to tell them that we subpoenaed those records that you gave them up. That was in the initial request that was for a one-year time frame. And then they renewed it every year in September or August of every year for the next five years. Foster said he is very dubious that DOJ would still have an ongoing investigation for six years and that he was no longer in a position to hide evidence from the probe for much of the time because he had retired from working for Congress back in 2019. We reached out to the DOJ, left the message, hadn't heard back. I know that shocks you. Foster said he suspects based on information that he's learned that his and other congressional Stafford's records were likely seized in a probe into the leaks of the FBI evidence in the now discredited Russia collusion probe, including, by the way, the FISA warrant targeting former Trump advisor Carter Page. And that case was closed in 2019. Why, after that occurred, would they still be trying to keep the order for my records and my other Democrat and Republican colleagues' records secret? after the case is already over. That's the question that I'm urging authorities on the Hill and the Inspector General to look at now. It boils down to this. We all know this. I probably don't even need to say it. Our government is spying on us. Every day we bring you a new blockbuster revelation of another way the government has been caught spying on us on the American people. And it certainly isn't just Joe Biden and Donald Trump that let it happen. Barack Obama and Joe Biden, in their marriage of eight years at the top of our government, they got busted for spying specifically on a Fox News reporter, and they put him in the tank, spied illegally, illegally, They tapped his phones. They tapped his mail. And there was no evidence whatsoever to prove he had done anything wrong. And what's worse, they didn't go to a court and ask for or issue a subpoena that would allow the Obama administration to take those actions. Big Brother... He's looking at you. He's watching everything you do. He knows everything you are doing that you don't want anybody else to know. Almost without exception, they know it. Your phone is hacked. Your computer is hacked. They're listening to your phone calls. We're going to take a break on the other side of this break. I'm going to give you a personal example of phone call tapping going on. Fox Wednesday, could this mysterious princess unlock riches?
4: She's a bad singer. All hail Princess Adrian!
7: All new I Can See Your Voice. Then, TV's number one news show's top ten face double elimination. No one is safe. This can't be good. All new I Can See Your Voice and all new Next Level Chef, Wednesday on Fox. No doubt you've heard about this subliminal seduction nonsense. You know... Commercials that are supposed to have hidden messages in them. Well, Baron's Barron. Saloon denies any use of this so called mind control. Come to After all, Baron's is seductive enough as it is. Get in your car and come right now. What with a 16 page dinner menu crammed with delectable items, You're starting to salivate. 30 dinner items under $5, Keep out. Save big bucks. and a happy hour that lasts from 4 till 8 p.m. Sex. Obviously, Barron's has that rare combination of good food, Take out your wallet. good fun, Give us your money. and good prices. Give us your cash. So let's put this subliminal seduction nonsense to rest. Nobody can do your thinking for you. Come to Barron's. You either want to come to Barron's you do, you do. or you don't. But boy, oh boy, you do, you do. Barron's, Airport and South Academy. <laughs>
4: every age,
7: a technology is created that upends the foundations of society, the wheel, the printing press, the internet. Now, in a world sliding into financial chaos, a new technology is changing the way monetary systems work around the world. It is called Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a new form of money, controlled not by banks, governments, or corporations, but through mutual commerce between free individuals.
0: To learn more, visit weusecoins.com. When the lie becomes the norm, speaking the truth becomes a revolutionary act. Dan Newman. TNN. The Truth News Network.
1: It's uncanny that anybody would justifiably say that telling the truth is a revolutionary idea. should be the other way around, don't you think? Especially when our government's involved. Let's switch gears for a second. Let's talk about the United Nations. I don't know how much you know about the UN and its purpose, the way it was founded, how it's morphed into something 180 degrees away from what it was founded to be and what it was for a number of years, but it's nothing like it was founded to be, sits in lower Manhattan on the east side, one of the primest of real estate locations in all of New York, Manhattan. I bet that piece of property, even without the U.N. building and all of the ancillary buildings around it, I bet you just that U.N. building is worth, what, 80, 90, 100 billion dollars? That's a story for another day. But the General Assembly of the UN, the General Assembly, the body featuring all member states, overwhelmingly passed a resolution yesterday that demanded Israel to halt its war against the genocidal terrorist organization Hamas. They didn't even mention Hamas, didn't even mention the whole beginning of this thing was October 7th. Unknowing, unsuspecting, 1,200 Israeli people were slaughtered, many of them in their pajamas, in their beds asleep. And oh, by the way, the UN General Assembly, after they passed this resolution, they rejected two proposed amendments that people, member countries, wanted to amend this Resolution to condemn Hamas. This is the second from the General Assembly addressing the Israeli war on Hamas since that day, October 7. By the way, 250 others abducted, they've engaged Hamas, has engaged in a spree of atrocities including massive gang rape, torture, killing of children as young as infants, desecration of corpses, The General Assembly adopted a similar measure in late October that also failed to condemn Hamas, but it urged Israel not to protect itself from a repeat of the October 7 crimes against humanity. The UN Security Council, which is the most powerful part of the United Nations, has struggled to make any official statements on the Hamas slaughter, That's as a result of the veto powers of its permanent members, particularly Russia, which vetoed a U.S.-led resolution for being insufficiently condemning of Israel while introducing pro-Hamas resolutions that the council voted down. The council ultimately passed a resolution in mid-November that demanded, quote, urgent and extended humanitarian pauses in Gaza It failed to condemn Hamas for their terrorist attacks on October 7. This resolution on Monday received the support of 153 of the General Assembly's 193 members. Only 10 countries, including Israel, as well as the U.S., Paraguay, Guatemala, and Liberia, voted against the resolution. Another 23 countries prominently including European powers like Germany, the United Kingdom, and Italy. They didn't even vote. They abstained. Today, the UNGA Emergency Special Session adopted Resolution ES10-22 that demanded immediate humanitarian ceasefire, all parties comply with their obligations under international law, unconditional release of all hostages, as well as ensuring humanitarian access. That doesn't sound very comprehensive. And it certainly stops short of what should happen there. So let me put this to bed. You want Dan's opinion on this whole thing? If you are a regular here, you know this. The United Nations needs to go. And when I say go, I don't have any authority to make it disappear. I don't have any authority and even not a vote, nor do you about the United States still being a member of the United Nations. When I say they need to go, they need to go. The United Nation needs to leave the United States and go somewhere else in the world. Why is that, Dan? Because they don't represent us on any issue They despise us. They have forever. We are nothing but a checkbook to them. And by the way, if we knew exactly how many billions dollars each year we are paying into the United Nations and how much more, massively more, than any other country on the planet, you would demand they would leave New York. In fact, what we need to do is we need to give them a resolution and demand that they get out of Dodge. Well, not Dodge, but get out of Manhattan. Just leave the country. You don't do anything for us. You do a lot for a lot of people, and you use our money to do it. So what is Israel up to now? You know, we were warned that they were thinking about bringing in seawater out of the Mediterranean Sea, which is right there at Gaza, and start flooding the Hamas tunnel network with that seawater. Now, to me, that would be the last straw for me. If I was a fighter, of course, if you're going to be a fighter in Hamas, that means you're a terrorist. If I was a terrorist and they were about to turn this water jet on coming out of the med, and I'm running through these tunnels to try to get away from it, that would be the scariest thing that could possibly happen to me. I'm a good swimmer. (laughs) But if you're in these tunnels, and all of a sudden the tunnel's getting flooded with water, there's no place to go. There's no place to come up above the water and get air. The IDF, Israeli Defense Forces, they've started flooding That network of tunnels, the IDF is carrying out a sweeping counteroffensive now in Gaza, doing that to eliminate Hamas, and we know what Hamas has done. As part of the next phase of this counteroffensive in southern Gaza, the IDF is currently flooding the Hamas tunnel network with seawater, and that tunnel operation spans roughly 300 miles under Gaza, and serves the nerve Center for the Terrorist Group's operations, unnamed U.S. officials are speaking to this, giving this information to the Wall Street Journal. And and pause there for a second. Any unnamed U.S. official, when you hear or see that term, I immediately say, I don't know if I believe that. If it's that important, and this, if it's true, is really important news, somebody needs to own it. Seriously. Now, we're told this operation involves multiple pumps siphoning water from the MED, jetting it into different entrance points in the tunnel system, a process that is likely going to take weeks. Some U.S. officials have warned the operation might not work, but others say we're optimistic that it could at least partially clear the tunnels. In addition, the IDF is utilizing different ways to destroy the tunnel system, including airstrikes, drones, dogs, robots, and liquid explosives. The IDF has been hesitant to send troops directly into the tunnels themselves as it would prove a challenge to fight in such a cramped underground environment, potentially rigged with traps. Now, I know the IDF They're really powerful. They understand that part of the world. They know intimately far better than we do in the U.S. what this uh, expanse of tunnels constitutes and what's there and what it would take to function. I, I understand the water. I understand the ongoing airstrikes using drones. Dogs? I don't know about that. I don't know what a dog can do in the deep, dark part of the underground. They don't carry guns. And I'm a dog lover, by the way. Any of you know me and know our studio and know what we do during this as we speak, I wish this was video I would show you. Olivia, our five-pound Yorkshire Terrier, is lying on the console and has been since the show went live an hour and 42 minutes ago. And she is, as we're talking, she's asleep dreaming because her tail's wagging. (laughs) I'm a a dog lover. That has nothing to do with this story. But this thing about the tunnels under Gaza, it just opens up so many doors that prove to me that this is a really long-term, well-planned out, thought of for a long time with the infrastructure implanted, used in, in large part, using our money. I'm talking about Hamas and their attacks in this ongoing fight war with Israel. We're paying for a bunch of it. How so, Dan? Through Iran. Joe Biden single-handedly opened a spigot for billions of dollars to go directly to Iran when he released sanctions on Iran. They weren't able to sell their oil on the open markets. The only way they were able to sell it was on the black market. Joe Biden said, hey, we're going to let you open that spigot. So they're selling it on the open market. Not only that, not only that, but there is a buttload full of American dollars that went to Ukraine, excuse me, went to Iran under Barack Obama and Joe Biden. Remember John Kerry, all of them involved in that. Millions of dollars of cash flown to Iran. They released that deal that those sycophants in that administration, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, John Kerry, They're all in love with Iran. And they didn't go through Congress. It wasn't a treaty, so it didn't have to be approved. It technically is a treaty by the nature of the definition of treaty and the way treaties in the past have been utilized and structured in the United States. But that's a story for another day. But they sent over $100 billion in cash to Iran $100 $100 billion in cash. So you got to believe. We know that Iran funds Hezbollah, funds Hamas, funds the Houthi rebels, and they're doing so with our money. That should make everybody's skin crawl. This government has been all in. Joe Biden was all in, always has been. Why would you do that? Isn't that the height? of anti-Semitism, because Israel is the number one foe for Hezbollah, Hamas, also Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Yemen, every Muslim nation. Israel is the enemy. They're called the little Satan. The United States is called the great Satan. They hate us all. They hate liberty. They hate our way of life in capitalism. And by the way, it's based on religious disagreement. Christianity is evil. In fact, I have read the Koran, which is the Muslim Bible. I have read it. There's a place in it and references that lean to this thing all the way through it the Muslim, is directed regarding the infidel. What's an infidel? In their lingo, anybody that's not a Muslim is an infidel. They are told by their God, Allah, when you confront the infidel, you either convert him or her to Islam or you kill him. That's an edict from who they say their God is. So they hate us, yet we keep giving them money. And they're taking a bunch of our money in our faces, funding Hezbollah, funding Hamas, all these other jihadist organizations around the world that are going after us and every free nation, our allies, and yet these hardcore Democrat leftists are all for it. If that's not hatred for Jews... I don't know what is. In that vein, Biden yesterday threw Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu under the bus. This was the day before yesterday, I apologize. He could be getting a bit squeamish about his professed, quote, unwavering support for Israel. With the anti-Semites in his party's base on the verge of an open revolt, that could doom his re-election hopes. And so in a stunning about face, our geriatric career politician president told donors that the Jewish nation is losing world support over the ongoing operation to eliminate the terrorist presence in Gaza. And he threw Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu under the bus by demanding changes in Netanyahu's government. Now, I may be wrong, But I thought Joe Biden was the United States president. I didn't think he was the over-president of Israel. Over-president would mean he would be above. There is a president, by, by the way, of Israel. I can't remember his name. We've had sound bites with him on this show before. Netanyahu is the prime minister. Our president despises Benjamin Netanyahu and Biden has the unmitigated gall to demand that Netanyahu changes things in his government. Now this has got to be true cuz it's, it's it's from CNN. <laughs> Biden made his remarks behind closed door to some high rollers in Washington yesterday a sign of a major shift from the White House as demands for him to put his foot down on a ceasefire before the Hamas terror organization has been wiped out. That's not what the Jewish people want. That's not what the Jewish army, Israeli defense force is going to do. I think he has to change. And with this government, this government in Israel is making it very difficult for him to move. Now that's our president talking about their prime minister. Joe was describing Netanyahu's regime as the most conservative government in Israel's history. What the heck is wrong with that? As opposed to Joe Biden's government, which in the United States is probably the absolute most liberal leftist government, top-down controlling government in U.S. history. I guarantee you the history books are going to bear that out. Biden, we're told, said that the Jewish democracy has most of the world supporting it. But he added, they're starting to lose the support by the indiscriminate bombing that takes place. And when he said that, I mean, that's a quote from Joe. Well, guess what? That's also a quote from Hamas in their talking points. Joe Joe is speaking about Benjamin Netanyahu, using Hamas talking points when he demands that Israel stop what Joe determines is indiscriminate bombing. His trashing of Netanyahu to the Democrat donors came the day after his remarks at the White House Hanukkah reception Monday night. We're committed to providing military assistance to Israel until they get rid of Hamas, Joe said, proclaiming this, I'm a Zionist. And he got a bunch of applause from the attendees. But we have to be careful. They have to be careful. The whole world's public opinion can shift overnight. We can't let that happen, Biden said, not elaborating on what he meant, but he's been under intense fire from anti-Semitic elements of the Democrat base to force a ceasefire in Gaza. And every vote is critical for him, And in an election year, you know that, every vote except of the Jewish people in the United States. Organized mobs have taken to the streets, have stalked Biden, chanting, Genocide Joe, as the anti-Israel Democrats of the squad have whipped up an anti-Semitic fervor that has manifested itself in the menacing of Jews across America. Not altogether surprising, considering the degree to which the demagogue in chief and his fellow Democrats have mainstreamed racism against white people. Biden's remarks, they don't have anything to do with Israel. He doesn't know squat about what's going on in Israel. You know that. But it has to do with his pressure being put on him to simply fall in line instead of doing what he he should be doing. His flip-flopping comes after Rashida Tlaib expressed her dismay with the Democratic leader, telling the Wall Street Journal that she's not on board with another four years for Joe. The struggle that I have with the president is a number of issues, she told the outlet, which caught up with her as she kicked off her own re-election campaign. And by the way, that's from the heavily Muslim Detroit suburb of Dearborn, adding that her Middle East refugee constituents feel invisible to this government. Joe Biden supported the genocide of the Palestinian people. Of course, that's never been defined for me. Never. And the American people won't forget, Tlaib said in a controversial ad in which she accused Joe Biden of having blood on his hands. There's also the report of a mutiny within Biden's own government over his not getting with the program on a ceasefire. According to an NBC News report, hundreds of federal government employees have signed an open letter to Joe demanding his administration push for a ceasefire. Why? To protect the lives of Palestinian civilians. Dozens of Foreign Service officers at the State Department have voiced objections to the administration's handling of the conflict and several official dissent cables. That's according to different congressional and administration officials. And at the U.S. Agency for International Development, hundreds of employees signed a letter critical of the administration's approach. So doesn't that just all fit together in the way that we know this government is governing itself Well, what is that, Dan? Joe Biden walks outside every morning if and when he wakes up that day in the morning and he licks his thumb and sticks it up in the air and everything he says that day is going to be based upon which way the wind is blowing in Washington, D.C. at the moment that he sticks his thumb up in the air. It has nothing to do with the rule of law nothing to do with the U.S. Constitution, nothing to do with what's right and what's wrong morally and spiritually, according to his doctrine. He's a lifelong Catholic. None of what you see him making normal and okay is good and comes out of the teachings of his church, none of it. So who is he representing? Well, he doesn't represent me or you, most of you. I know we have some dissidents that tune in every day. But most of you are conservative people that you believe in the rule of law, you believe in the Constitution, you believe in the structure of our government as a representative republic, and the representatives comprise the House and the Senate in Washington, D.C., 535 individuals that craft our laws based on the will of their constituents, in all of those 435 congressional seats across the nation, that's the House of Representatives, and the 50 states. Each of those states, two U.S. senators represent that state's people. Oh, by the way, we the people still believe that this government is supposed to be, was established to be, And has got to be made into doing it again. Government of the people, government by the people, and government for the people. Unless and until we get there, we just keep trekking along that that road that leads to devastation and destruction. Hate to finish the show on a down note. Please forgive me for that. But one thing we can rely on, there are a lot of really good people in our government. Most Americans still believe in the fundamentals of the Constitution and what this nation's all about. Be thankful for that. And in this Christmas time, let's be thankful for everything that we have. It's not all good folks, but thankfully more good than bad. You guys have a great Wednesday. We'll see you tomorrow morning right here.
2: I pray you'll be our eyes And watch us where we go And help us to be wise In times when we don't know be our prayer when we lose our way lead us to a place guide us with your grace to a place where we La luce che tu I pray we'll find your light Nel cuore resterà And hold in our heart A ricordarci che stars go out each night La terra stella sente oh. Nella mia preghiera When shadows fill our day Lead us to a place Guide us with your grace To a place, place where we'll be safe. Siamo un mondo senza più violenza Un mondo di giustizia e di speranza Ognuno di l'Amono al suo vecino Simbolo di pace the We ask that life be kind. El che, and watch us from above. Born with entros say Let this, Let this be a prayer Let this be a prayer Just like every child Just like every child Need to find a place
4: guide us with your grace
2: to a place where we'll be safe. Hallelujah, I'll be i